So let's read together 2 Corinthians 4, starting at verse 7 and reading to the end of the chapter. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We have the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believe and therefore I have spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Amen. And let's now turn together to Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk chapter 3. We'll read the whole chapter, but I will be preaching on the last three verses, 17 to 19. So Habakkuk chapter 3. Let's read God's word together, starting at verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet upon Shigianoth. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. And his brightness was as the light. He had horns coming out of his hand and there was the hiding of his power. Before him went the pestilence and burning coals went forth at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He beheld and drove asunder the nations And the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills did bow. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction, and the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was the Lord displeased against the rivers? Was thine anger against the rivers? Was thy wrath against the sea that thou didst ride upon thine horses and thy chariots of salvation? Thy bow was made quite naked. According to the oaths of the tribes, even thy word, Selah, thou didst cleave the earth with rivers. The mountains saw thee and they trembled. The overflowing of the waters passed by. The deep uttered his voice and lifted up his hand on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of thine arrows they went. 
and at the shining of thy glittering spear. Thou didst march through the land in indignation. Thou didst thrash the heathen in anger. Thou wentest forth for the salvation of thy people, even for salvation with thine anointed. Thou woundest the head out of thy house of the wicked by discovering the foundation unto the neck. Selah. Thou didst strike through with his staves the head of his villages. They came out as a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was as to devour the poor secretly. Thou didst walk through the sea with thine horses, through the heap of great waters. When I heard, thy, my belly trembled, my lips quivered at thy voice. Rottenness entered into my bones, and I trembled in myself, that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he cometh up unto the people, he will invade them with his troops. And here is our text. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds feet, and he will make me to walk upon mine high places to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. Amen. Thus, the reading of God's holy word. And the title of the sermon is A Firm Hope in the Darkest Hour. Dear brothers and sisters, have you ever been in a situation that seemed dire? A situation that caused you a great anxiety, something that was looming over you. Well, for my wife and I, in 2018, we went to Africa to adopt a little girl. And we were there for three months. My wife became quite sick. Our resources were running out. And it was becoming more and more clear that we would not be able to get our daughter home with us. And this caused great anxiety. What were we going to do? Where would she go? Where would we go? And, and it created knots in my stomach. And even recollecting this uh, leaves a pit in my stomach. And, and perhaps you have something uh, in your life, perhaps even something you're going through now, perhaps something in the past that you recall being an item of great sorrow uh, that caused you great distress. Well, the prophecy of Habakkuk features situations and circumstances which were troubling. Things which caused Habakkuk great distress, fear, and discouragement. However, in this setting of discouragement and trouble, God reminded him that he was not alone, but rather he and those whose faith are in the Lord are the special objects of God's love and are actually secure in him. This new outlook led to Habakkuk's prayer of hope and confidence recorded in chapter 3. We will look particularly at the last three verses and under two specific headings, a time of distress and a spiritual reset. And so first, a time of distress. In verse 17 of our text, Habakkuk lists a number of material disasters which, taken together, indicated that a great time of trouble was coming. Uh, read them together with me. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. 
The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall no herd be in the stalls. Well, what led Habakkuk to declare this, these things in this verse? Well, in chapter 1, Habakkuk had called out to God and complained that the righteous who lived within Judah were the victims of injustice and violence from their fellow Judeans. Furthermore, he expressed frustration because God didn't seem to be hearing his prayers. In verse 2 of chapter 1, we read, O Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence and thou wilt not save. He had been praying for justice and for God's intervention. But his bold complaint was that justice was not coming forth and that God did not seem to be hearing his prayer. Well, God did not remain silent, but his answer was one that increased Habakkuk's distress. God informed Habakkuk that he was sending the Babylonians as a means by which the rebellious people of Judah will be chastened. Well, this revelation only added to Habakkuk's anxiety. Why would God use a nation even worse than the Judeans to be a, a means by which his own people would be punished? Well, in order to consider these things, we must step back a little bit and remember the context of Habakkuk's prophecy. A few decades earlier, we recall that the nearly unthinkable happened. The northern ten tribes of Israel had been taken away from the promised land into captivity. God's covenant people had been uprooted and taken away because of their sins, their persistent, unrepentant sins. And now the same thing was being revealed to Habakkuk as what would be the fate of Judah. What would this mean for the temple? What would this mean for the faithful, the remnant of God's faithful people in Judah? Habakkuk's response is somewhat understandable. Fear and doubt and confusion. All he knows is that a ruthless and wicked people are coming. And with them a wave of increased suffering and the loss of all he knows. It is it any wonder that he summarizes what the future is by declaring what we read in verse 17 of chapter 3. That the crops will fail. And that the flocks will be no source of food or sustenance. Humanly speaking, there was little hope in Habakkuk's future. Well, we must be reminded that the curses which Habakkuk acknowledges are a fulfillment of what God had promised so many years ago. That would come to pass if Israel rejected their covenant God. And we read of these curses in Deuteronomy 28. We read in that chapter in verses 15 to 19. But it shall come to pass if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe all to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Cursed shalt thou be in the city and cursed shalt thou be in the field. Cursed shalt be thy basket in thy store. Cursed shall be the fruit of thy body and the fruit of thy land, the increase of thy kind and the flocks of thy sheep. Cursed shalt thou be when thou comest in, and cursed shalt thou be when thou goest out. 
And furthermore, starting in verse 46 and on in Deuteronomy 28, we read, And they shall be upon thee for a sign and for a wonder and upon thy seed forever, because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. Therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee, just like in Habakkuk's day in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in want of all things. And he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he has destroyed thee. And so we see Habakkuk acknowledging the fulfillment of these curses on a rebellious people. Israel and Judah had turned away from God and the curses God promised would come have arrived. Israel was already gone, and now God had revealed to Habakkuk that Babylon would take Judah away into captivity as well. Only misery seemed to await him, his family, his loved ones, and his beloved nation. His initial response was to complain to God and wait for his response. Well, dear brothers and sisters, in some respects, can we not relate to Habakkuk, his experience one way or other? I'm a Canadian, and I look at America as one of the greatest nations in history. And I I think, you know, statistically, that's true. The material possessions in the United States are unparalleled in history. And the gospel has gone forth from this nation mightily over the years. And and it's an honor to be an allied nation uh, of the United States. And yet there is trouble here, isn't there? And Pastor Bannister prayed about these things. We don't have a foreign nation bearing down on us, I I don't think. But we're not without serious trouble here. For example, our government here could not rightly be called godly on a federal level or a state level or otherwise. As a nation, America has aborted the unborn since the 1970s. Millions of American babies have been put to death before... They have even had the opportunity to take their first breath. Our nation here has taken the step with many others to redefine marriage as being other than one man and one woman. Uh, We observe as Christians society regularly breaking the Lord's Day, being confused over gender. And and there's the reality that we live in a post-Christian world here in the United States and in my own country as well where Christianity isn't merely seen as as something odd or strange, but actually is something offensive. It's becoming the wrong. Uh, The public school system, for example, is often a haven for atheistic, uh, secular, and immoral thought. Um, And in most places, our nation's children are being taught things that are not according to God's word. And even cultural Marxism is being pushed in North America in general, here for sure, and in my own country. And so looking out in the landscape of Christianity, we don't see any more encouragement in many respects, do we? Liberal theology dominates the mainline churches and their Christian institutions, their seminaries and such. God's word as the authoritative ground of all is rejected. The authority of man dominates. Other theological errors also seem to be gaining traction. Uh, For example, the prosperity gospel has gone forth from North America to many parts of the world, 
I've been to Nigeria and Ghana, and it dominates those places. People thinking that Christianity leads to material blessings, necessarily. Other countries as well. And in other places, even beyond North America, we see Christianity dying. Dying. Western Europe used to be a haven for Christianity. The Puritans and many others, the Dutch reformers. But now so few go to church. Secularism seems to dominate. And according to the organization, the Voice of the Martyrs, our brother prayed for the persecuted church. And we know that our brothers and sisters, perhaps even as we worship now, some are in jail cells. Some are perhaps facing death. An uncertain future. In many respects, we are blessed here. But in many respects, we acknowledge there's trouble. And sometimes we even ask, what is the future for our children? What's the future for our grandchildren here? We do live in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation. And sometimes it seems as if the world is falling all apart around us. And in many ways, the trouble that we are facing then isn't all that much different in some ways than what Habakkuk is facing. It's just a different shape and size. For Habakkuk, there was looming trouble. And this is why he ends his book reflecting on the grim possibilities of war and the results of war that the Babylonians would bring. The fig tree not blossoming. That means no food in the future. No fruit being on the vine. Well, there was no food even then. The produce of the olive failing, which means that cooking and medicine will not be available. And even the flocks being cut off and no herds being in the stalls which means no food as well as no animals for plowing fields and for transportation. Habakkuk knew what suffering the Babylonian army would bring in its wake. He was facing a time of trouble. And in many respects, we too are in a time of trouble. But he does not end on verse 17. And so we see a spiritual reset. Despite this great trouble looming over the horizon, Habakkuk makes a most remarkable and encouraging declaration. In verses 7, 18, and 19, we read it. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hind's feet, and he will make me to walk upon mine high places to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. Dear brothers and sisters, what happened? Why is Habakkuk, when faced with such a grim future, suddenly uttering a joyful declaration of trust in the Lord his God? Well, in all the sin he was seeing within the nation of Judah and the following revelation that the Babylonian army was coming, Habakkuk had forgotten the essential. He was so caught up in fear and discouragement, looking at the landscape on the earth and future around him, he had lost sight of the bigger picture. Habakkuk had even challenged God and waited for an answer, saying in chapter 2, verse 1, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. However, in his uncertainty, confusion and dismay Habakkuk cried out to God with his complaint and he received a most remarkable answer from the Lord which we read in chapter 2 verses 2 to 4 we read there 
And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain on tables, that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end it shall speak and not lie, though it tarry, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him. But the just shall live by his faith. When he was in despair, God reminded Habakkuk of the key to all things. Faith in the Lord. Faith in the Lord his God. You see, Habakkuk had lost sight of God himself. His eyes were so caught up in the things around him, he forgot the Lord his God. He had not been casting his trusting gaze in the Lord. But like Peter, who walked in the water to Jesus, was scared by the winds and the waves around him and began to sink. But in his condescending goodness, the Lord reminded Habakkuk that his strength and help is from God. And the conquering king and ruler of all. And in chapter 2, the Lord revealed to Habakkuk that the Chaldeans themselves would be subject to the judging hand of the Lord. Habakkuk was reminded that life is not found in the earthly blessings here. Of peace and prosperity and material well-being that we have in this earth. True life is found in God himself. And Habakkuk needed to return to trusting in God, to have faith in the Lord, a faith which had wavered under the strain of the challenges and trials looming over him. Habakkuk had to go back to the basics. He needed a spiritual reset. His trust needed to be in the Lord, his God, because the righteous shall live by faith. And this is why Habakkuk uttered his joyful declaration of his renewed trust in the Lord. Well, there are three aspects uh, that I wish to point out about the one to whom Habakkuk was placing his faith. And these three aspects point forward as types to the anticipated antitype, Jesus Christ, who is ultimately the one Habakkuk was trusting in and who we are also called to trust in in our own trials. Well, first Habakkuk says that he will trust in the very God who was sending the trial. It was God who declared that the Babylonians would come and be used as a tool of discipline on Judah. God is sovereign over all things, including the activities of the nations and leaders of the world. And we read in Isaiah 45, verse 7, I, this is the words of God, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. God is sovereign. And it is to our sovereign, able God that Habakkuk has turned and found his joy and salvation. And there is joy here because God moves and bends the nations and the events on the earth, including our day, in order to accomplish salvation for his people. And we read of this in Habakkuk 3, verse 13. We read there, Thou wentest forth for the salvation of thy people, even for salvation with thine anointed. Thou woundest the head out of the house of the wicked by discovering the foundation unto the neck. And perhaps this language of wounding the head of the house of the wicked reminds us of the promised seed in Genesis 3.15, who would crush the head of the serpent. 
Jesus Christ crushed Satan, death, and sin on the cross, thus saving a people unto himself. And that God is the one who moves the nations also means that he is the one who can bring relief and shelter in the storms of life. And this is a source of great comfort for us, dear brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ is our source of rest in times of distress. We read of that in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Jesus says, come, dear brothers and sisters, come to the Lord. He calls you to rest in him. We see that the one then that Habakkuk was trusting in was the very God who was sending the trial. Well, second, our God is the one who answers prayer. God hears the cries of his people. In chapter one, Habakkuk complained that God was not listening to him and does not answer. And yet the first two chapters are a dialogue between Habakkuk and God. God was hearing him. And the issue was that God's timing in answering prayer was not what the prophet expected or wanted. God's plans did not run on Habakkuk's timeline. And do we not confess to having that circumstance ourselves? Because of this, Habakkuk was frustrated. And yet God declared in chapter 2, verse 3, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. God is sovereign. We've said that already. And works his wisdom in his own way and in his own timing. And this was difficult for Habakkuk. And it can be difficult for us as well. To wait for the Lord. But we must be comforted by the reality that God does hear our prayers. Why does God hear our prayer? How is this in light of the fact that in chapter 1, Habakkuk actually declares rightly that God cannot look upon evil? Well, it's because we have a mediator in heaven. The risen Christ, who will allow us to come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Dear brothers and sisters, our prayers are heard by our sovereign God because of the mediatorial work of Jesus Christ, who not only died for our sins, but ever lives to make intercession for us as our high priest in heaven. It is to this God that Habakkuk had turned. And finally, Habakkuk turned to the God who is the God of justice. And this includes the two sides of the coin of justice, judgment and mercy. Punishing the wicked and showing mercy on those who place their trust in him. God told Habakkuk that he was sending Babylon into Judah to bring justice. Something that Habakkuk had complained was absent in chapter 1. God then reminded him that Babylon also would be the subject of divine justice for their wickedness, as we read in chapter 2. Now, this temporal justice that the Lord encouraged Habakkuk uh, with points to a greater day of judgment, which we read about in Paul's sermon in Acts chapter 17. We read there, And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, 
because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. God is a just God. And his justice spoken about here in Habakkuk's prophecy points to the return of Jesus Christ, the great judge who will bring the Judeans, the Babylonians, and everyone, including ourselves, before the throne of judgment one day. For all those who are found to be resting on their own deeds for righteousness before the Lord, for them there is only one thing, a declaration of guilt. But what will happen to the just who place their faith in God? Well, they will also be the recipients of God's justice. But it will be the other sign of the coin of justice, mercy. And for them, Jesus received the sign of the coin that spelled ruin on the cross so that they would receive mercy. And God reminds Habakkuk that the just shall live by faith. God gives life to those who trust in him. And this is the reason why Habakkuk had joy and the reason why in our own trials, we have every reason to be confident, confident in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who our Father sent to save us from our own sins. We believe in a God who both lives and who is life itself. Jesus says in John 10, verse 10, I am come that they may have life and that they might have it more abundantly. God gives abundant life to those who place their faith in him. The nature of this life is that it is abundant in joy, in peace, and in hope. And in all of these things are so, even in the midst of trials, serious trials, trials that would threaten to loom over us and seem to destroy us. Dear friends, God loves his people. And his love culminated in sending Jesus Christ into this world to face the most dire and looming calamity of all, the wrath of God against sin. And in the same way that God is the author of the just calamity that Judah and Habakkuk faced, he is also the author of the salvation of his people from his own wrath in Christ. He sent Jesus Christ in order to seek and to save that which was lost. And this salvation is obtained through faith in Jesus Christ. This is what Habakkuk had lost sight of. Faith in the God of his salvation. And his declaration that he will now take joy in the God of his salvation was a confession that he had returned to the foundation. Habakkuk confessed his faith and joy in the Lord in a time when he did not have the clarity of revelation of Jesus Christ that we now have. Remember, he was in the Old Testament setting. He saw Christ through types and shadows. In our trials, then, how much more should we be clinging to Jesus Christ, our risen king who has been fully revealed in his beautiful word, Scripture? And in this declaration of faith, there is a warning, however, that I think must be acknowledged. Dear friends, whatever trial you find yourself in, if you are not trusting in Jesus Christ, your challenges now pale in comparison to what you will face in the future if your faith is not in Christ. 
Men cannot see into your heart, but God knows all of your thoughts, all of your desires. If you're ultimately rejecting Christ, repent and believe. You have hope now. One day it will be too late. Today is the day of salvation. And dear friends, dear brothers and sisters, we need to be vigilant at this time as our brother prayed for and place our faith in Christ. And notice how Habakkuk is expressing his faith by rejoicing in the God of his salvation. Even in the darkest hour, God is the source of Habakkuk's joy. Habakkuk found God to be his source of strength and his escape from trial. And notice that this joy is not based on a sudden change of circumstances, but a joy found in God himself. Babylon was still coming when he wrote chapter 3. But Habakkuk gained a renewed insight into the bigger picture. God's eternal and ultimate rule over things for his own glory and for the blessing of his people. Dear friends, we need to heed with great seriousness Paul's exhortation in Colossians 4 to continue steadfastly in prayer and to be watchful in it with thanksgiving. Let none of us be a means by which Christ's glory is diminished in this world. Habakkuk's initial complaint was that Judah was in sin. Judah was the visible church on earth, the bride of Christ on earth. The visible church is not immune to sinning and falling, as we know. We must watch, be faithful, trust in the Lord. We need to take heed and cling to our head, Jesus Christ, by faith. Well, living in the New Testament age, we know that this rule is done through our King, Jesus Christ. In his God, Habakkuk found all the reason to rejoice. Dear believer, are you rejoicing? America is a blessed nation. But perhaps you were particularly aware of the looming trouble in the nation as well. Are you even in these hard times and despite of them, are you joyful? I don't mean a shallow happiness that the world says we all ought to have, but that masks internal pain. I mean it, despite hardship, do you have a deep-seated joy that allows you to be thankful even in the midst of serious and real trials, that your foundation is on the immovable rock, Jesus Christ. Sometimes the hard times in our lives can cause us to forget the basics. In our duties and legitimate concerns for the church and for our society, we can lose sight of Christ himself. We need to be faithful servants and ambassadors and always have our eyes fixed on Christ. deriving all of our strength from him. Well, Habakkuk was faced with a dire future personally and for Judah and for the worship of the Lord. Yet he strengthened himself in the Lord. And we know the rest of the story. Judah was destroyed. But in that destruction, God saved his people and, and it took care of them in Babylon And we know that through them, the line of promise leading to the Messiah was not broken. God used Babylon to shelter his people in the storm. And Christ came and was and is still conquering the world through the gospel. In the fullness of time, Jesus saves his people. 
And in my own personal situation, our daughter was able to come to Canada after a period of time. And so praise be the Lord, our God is gracious, and we place our faith in him. He is a God to be praised and to be trusted in. Amen. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, our gracious Father, we're very thankful that we have such a wonderful God. You are great, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we praise you that you are a God who is so merciful and gentle to us, your needy people. Please give us the strength to have our eyes cast on you. Our world is becoming darker. But Lord, we know that in the increased darkness of the society around us, the gospel light will shine much more brightly. And so we ask that you will bless us, help us to be joyful and confident, not in ourselves, but in Christ, our great Savior and our King, in whose name we pray. Amen.